0: The human mind, body, emotions, and spirit are more powerful than anyone can imagine. And we can learn to use them in new and powerful ways to create the life we've always dreamed of. On our program today, with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon, we'll address who you are, how to come to know what you believe and why, how to accept and love yourself, and how you can make changes that help you create the empowered, happy, successful life you want. Now, here's your host, Dr. Irene Conlon.
1: Welcome to the Self-Improvement Show. This is Irene Conlon. We're broadcasting from Fountain Hills, Arizona, where it's sizzling hot today. I'm absolutely delighted that you could join us. The show is brought to you by Volantis Slim Roast Coffee. It's the new kid on the weight loss block, and what makes it different from the others is it works. I've lost almost 30 pounds now, and everybody who's using it is reporting remarkable weight loss without stressful dieting. If you want to know more, go to the self-improvement blog, take a look around. There's several things about it there. While you're there, read the information about today's guest, see her picture. She's coming to us today from Australia, where right now it's 6 o'clock in the morning on Friday. I always love doing this when I'm talking to someone a day ahead. Uh, We're going to give her just a minute to sip some coffee or tea while we introduce the show. To say that relationships are complex is definitely speaking in understatement. Most of us don't really know ourselves, much less do we know someone else. And some of us go into marriage with the notion of happily ever after. We're shocked when that isn't the case and we have to work at it. And we don't even need to talk about the divorce rate to know that. Uh, The divorce rate just continues to climb. Contemporary relationships seem frenetic at best, especially if there are children involved. Between jobs, children, and upkeep of the home and all the responsibilities we take on, there's barely enough time to say to our beloved, how was your day? And listen to the response. So how does a relationship get nourished and nurtured? We're going to talk about that today. How does it remain calm? Can it? Sarah Nephtali is the mother of two young boys who tries to apply Buddhist teachings in her daily life. Her working life has ranged from teaching English as a second language in corporate training to human rights activism and interpreting. Since becoming a mother, she has focused on writing, initially for companies and later for individuals wanting to record their memoirs. With seven memoirs completed, she's now the author of Buddhism for Mothers, which has been translated into nine languages to date, and Buddhism for Mothers with Lingering Questions. Uh, My kids are in their 40s and I still have questions. Since the children started school, and I love this, Sarah's pleased to report that she manages to meditate daily. I remember those days, too, when you didn't have time for your own thought. Just one thought, much less meditation. She's the author of the recently published Buddhism for Couples, A Calm Approach to Relationships. And it's an absolute honor and pleasure to welcome to the Self-Improvement Show, Sarah Napthali. Sarah, welcome. Oh,
2: Thank you so much for having me, Irene.
1: It sounds like you're right next to me. I love being able to talk to Australia and have it sound like we're in the same room. (laughs) It's always so much fun. I'm going to ask you that awful question that I ask everybody. Tell us about yourself. Who is Sarah Napthali?
2: Sure. I'm the mother of uh, a 17-year-old boy and a 13-year-old boy. Um, I have a partner or a husband and uh, two miniature schnauzers. And um, recently I've started full-time work in child protection, but for about 15 years before that I was at home um, writing books about uh, applying Buddhism to parenting um, a- until recently, a- applying Buddhism to the couple relationship, and yeah, as you said, r- r- writing the occasional memoir for whoever wanted one. Um, so yeah, I, my original degree was in business, um, but and then I topped up my studies with some psychology, and um, that's pretty much captures me on paper
1: <laughs> and so now you 're working at did you say child protective services?
2: Yeah, child protection services. Yeah, so, it's, yeah. it's a full time, high pressure job. So it's quite a culture shock from being an author at, at
1: home. <laughs> it, it's it's a very it's a very demanding, difficult job, is my guess.
2: That's Somebody. true. That's true.
1: So why did you write the book Buddhism for Couples?
2: Well, basically when I was doing my psychology studies, I I did a subject um, about marital relationships and I was exposed to lots and lots of studies from the psychological literature and I thought, wow, the conclusion of so many of these studies really chimes with Buddhist teachings or, you know, this is exactly what the Buddha found 2,500 years ago and so I it occurred to me that I should write a book that combines um, what we've found from the empirical research with these ancient teachings.
1: And you know what? I, I wasn't really aware well, aware as a key word here in today's discussion. I wasn't aware that there really wasn't that much written from a, a Buddhist point of view on couples and marriage. I mean, there's tons of books by everybody else, um, and yours are so incredibly. Down to earth and practical. It isn't at all what I what I thought it would be uh, when I when I first got it. And I have to say, I love the cover. Just looking at the cover of your book is calming to me. So you know, when, when you get into the inside and really read some of the things that you're putting forth, um, the book is is very very helpful and i would recommend it and i will right now you know if you have not gotten this book it doesn't matter whether you're a buddhist or or what your belief system is this book can help you with your relationships and you can get it at, at probably every bookstore and certainly you can get it on amazon.com it's it's just absolutely great great reading You say the power of Buddhist teachings is that they guide us to delve deeply into our psyches. We become aware of the working of our minds and bodies. Why is that so critical that we have that understanding of ourselves? We're talking about couples.
2: I think because we tend to live in a bit of a dream state, a bit of a trance state. Some people call it... Automatic pilot. We're very much driven by our habits and by our conditioning, and it's quite rare in our fast lives these days that we that we pause and realise that we've got so many more choices than we allow ourselves. We have so many more choices in our about our thoughts and about our um, about our mood. Um, I mean, not not that you can choose your mood, but. Really, if you you can be present, if you can be mindful, then you've got more options about how you respond to whatever's in front of you.
1: Do you think anybody can really know anybody else unless they know themselves first?
2: No, and I think that's particularly um, applicable when it comes to empathy. Um, If you can't be there for your own suffering, if you can't be there for your own sadness or your own stress... Um, if you just convert every emotion that comes along into anger, then, yeah, you're not going to be there for your partner's sadness or stress. If you can't be there for your own, why would you be there for somebody else's?
1: Exactly. You know, we talk a lot about meditation, um, and I know you say now that, you, now that the kids are in school, you can meditate every day. Uh, is there any way to get to know yourself without meditating? Well, I can't think of a thing. I mean, I really can't.
2: Meditation doesn't just have to happen on a cushion. Ideally, it does. But I I know that there are weeks, months, sometimes years in people's lives where their bum just isn't going to hit a cushion. Um, but, you know, there's traffic lights, there's waiting for your computer to start, there's sweeping, there's chopping vegetables, there's all sorts of times when you can turn inward. Um, life doesn't always require 100% of our brain. So we can we can apply uh, mindfulness to just about whatever we're doing and we can find little, little spots in our day to pause. E- even for one minute, it will make a difference to stop that... Um, all those cascading thoughts, the waterfall of, of thoughts, you can you can get behind that anytime you choose to. Yeah, you
1: know, I can see how the things in your book would work if you're both Buddhists. Sometimes I couldn't quite see how it would work if you weren't. But your husband is not a Buddhist. And and it's been working for you. You've been putting in the book the things that you've been practicing. So how do you make that work? How can how can you help your partner accept some of these ideas or some of these practices?
2: Sure. Um, Well, the Buddha was never teaching us to be doormats. Like the Buddha does teach things like compassion and generosity. Uh, but he wouldn't expect us um, to to put ourselves last uh, you know compassion's meant to be towards every human being including yourself so uh, if you feel like you're doing way too much of the giving in the relationship or way too much of the compassion or uh, if there's any unfairness uh, by all means address it and um, And I guess Buddhism provides tools to do that skillfully so that you're not just arguing or sulking or nagging or yelling, um, you're finding skillful ways to do it. And, you know, an example of that for me, uh, probably about once a year I would sit down and and write uh, my husband a letter where I just very – so I could very calmly put to him the issues I mean we have our share of, of little mini arguments along the way too but some, sometimes if I feel like oh look if I just bring this up there's it, it's a very hot potato um, and he you know he might interrupt me and I might not be able to express my thoughts calmly um, then I'll put it in a letter and I found it so effective uh, especially because you can edit that letter to make it more tactful and sensitive and
1: skillful. And how does your husband receive that? Is he okay with that?
2: Uh, Once on one occasion when I handed him a letter, he said, oh, my God, you've got too much time on your hands <laughs> uh, which was a bit button <laughs> which was a bit button pressing but that, that that's probably the worst response he's had but he you know he does read the letter and I, you know I might not even be in the house uh, like I, I'm likely to hand it to him and and get on the road and give him some time to digest it and um, to deal with his reactions so that by the time we both address it again um, we're, we're in a calm Place And, you know, there's been times when we haven't even needed to address it again. He's just taken what I've said on board based on the letter alone.
1: That's remarkable. Does he ever push back because he's not into some of the teachings or some of the practices that you're in, that you're involved in? Does he have a problem with that?
2: Uh, Not at all because I'm not – I'm never trying to convert him or – Push the teachings onto someone who doesn't want to hear them. Um, yeah, I, I mean, he's, he's a very rational person. He's an engineer. Uh, so, you know, he, he'll always listen to reason. And Buddhist teachings are very reasonable.
1: Yes, they are. And on that note, we're going to go to break. This is Irene Collin with my guest Sarah Napthali. saying stay tuned. We'll be right back with more. build your
3: better business achieve that goal make good on that resolution the voice america empowerment channel it's your world motivate change succeed when you think of inspiring women who comes to mind is it a visionary like oprah winfrey political or legal figures like hillary clinton or sonia sotomayor or how about entrepreneurial business leaders like meg whitman No matter whom you might be thinking of, make sure to add one more to that list. Deanne DeMarco. She's the host of Today's Inspiring Women. Each week, Deanne turns you on to the next rising star in business and leadership and what their successes and challenges have been. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific, on Voice America Empowerment.
0: Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are tuned in to The Self-Improvement Show with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Got a question for Irene or her guests? Call into our live show at one 888 346 9141. That's 1 888 346 9141. Connect with Irene via email. Our address is the self at gmail.com. Now, let's get back to the self improvement show. Here again is Dr. Irene Conlon.
1: Welcome back to the self improvement show. This is Irene Conlon. My guest today is Sarah Napthali. We're talking about Buddhism for couples, a calm approach in relationships. Some relationships I've seen are anything but calm and so I I just find it really lovely to talk about things that can help any relationship. Sarah you say cultivating a Buddhist practice has required you to be honest about your own role in relationship problems. Now what does a Buddhist practice look like and how does it require you to be honest?
2: Yeah, I think a lot of people would assume, oh, um, a, a Buddhist in a marital relationship, now, let's see, they'd have to be super calm and super nice all the time, <laughs> um, which is quite a repulsive <laughs> thought to yeah, me. Yeah, um, yeah, because, you know, really that that's not sustainable and, and that's probably quite a common misconception that I've felt fell for myself in the past actually. Um, but Buddhism is much more about being… Um, honest about at, with, with yourself about what you're feeling so you know you, if you if you wake up feeling angry and moody or out of sorts um, you know rather than picking at your partner and, and assuming that it's their fault or blaming them snapping at them you're honest and uh, you know you, you turn inward you you realize there's lots of tension in my body or my body's feeling groggy and sluggish or even a bit fluey uh, so and you know you acknowledge that your thoughts are grumbly and cranky and negative. So, yeah, if you can be honest about how you're feeling, then it saves you from sniping at the other people in your family. Um, and with, with honesty about uh, how we're behaving and with taking responsibility, then we're inevitably going to be a much better partner.
1: Yeah, this kind of thinking is beginning to permeate uh, our thinking across the board now, you know, and, you know, a lot of people aren't aware that M- much of it came from Buddhist teaching. I know when I was young, we were not taught about awareness. We certainly weren't taught meditation. But I found that, you know, I am beginning to, to realize, oh my gosh, I got up this morning just feeling just so grouchy. What's, what's going on? What's going on in me? And when I sit down and look at that, you know, usually I can, you know, I I can say, hey, I I don't really need that and go on with my day. Not always, but usually just recognizing that that's how it is. Now, the only one I have to snap at is my dog. He does not appreciate it. Um, But, you know, so, so in your day, what does a Buddhist practice look like? Well, in in
2: my day, I try to meditate for 20 minutes, half an hour before I go to work. um, Just to remind myself, I I guess, you know, some people talk about a mindfulness muscle and I feel like if I meditate, um, it's a workout for that mindfulness muscle and I'm much more likely to use mindfulness throughout my day. Um, Some people... uh, don't need the meditation sit to be mindful because they can apply it quite easily. But, um, yeah, I think the analogy of a muscle is quite effective. But, yeah, throughout my day, um, you know, I'm in a very high-pressure work. But even still, there's lots of pauses um, that I can create uh, as I'm driving. I stop at traffic lights. Um, as I'm doing sort of more menial or mindless tasks, I can tune into my breath and, and – you know, just ask myself, so how am I feeling at the moment? What's it like to be me right now? Oh, I've got a bit of tension in my shoulders. I might breathe into that, let go of that. I'll, I'll tune in to my thoughts often. You know, what kind of thoughts of, am I having at the moment? And, and how is this affecting my mood or my energy levels? So just tuning in, turning in and uh, checking what's going on. And then in your interactions with others, um, are you really listening to them? Um, Are you really being present for them or are you spending your whole day leaning into the future, um, rushing towards the next task and never quite being there in the present? Um, I know I do spend a lot of time rushing and I'm always pulling myself up, you know, to be more present, to be more accepting of where I am right now rather than just leaning forward all the time.
1: That's not necessarily an easy thing to do. You talk no. about mindful listening. I love that term, mindful listening. And as as we were in the break, and as we, you were just talking, I'm thinking how different it must be for some of these children you work with, who are in sometimes disastrous situations, that you listen to them mindfully they must be aware that you're listening on a different level.
2: Yes. Well, to be honest, I don't spend nearly as much time with the children as I do with their parents who, you know, like I might do a quick interview of the child at school without asking them really direct questions. You usually get them to draw pictures and see what comes out of it. Um, But I do have to listen a lot to... Their parents, who who are the ones who are struggling with mental health or drug addiction or intergenerational disadvantage, poverty, whatever their issue is, Um, and it's it's oh it's just so therapeutic. So few people listen. That when somebody finally comes along who's prepared to listen, people just tend to melt. Um, and and really work with me. Um, if, if they feel heard and understood and have their feelings validated, um, they're, I have found that they're just so much more open to um, following a safety plan.
1: And almost everybody reacts differently than usual when when you're into mindful listening because you can sense when somebody's really paying attention and when they're tuned into your station you just know and, and it, make, it makes so much difference. You talk about self-compassion and as I was thinking about self-compassion and I totally buy into it you absolutely have to be gentle and kind to yourself and know where you are but how can you keep self-compassion from devolving into a pity party. That, yeah,
2: that's a good question. Um, in in Buddhism, we talk about uh, near enemies, and you know, just about ev- every good thing can disintegrate into a bad thing if 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 you don't do it skillfully. Um, so I think it's a matter. In, in Buddhism, we always talk about combining love and wisdom. So, if you're just a completely loving person without any wisdom, it's not going to work for for you or the people around you. And and same with self-compassion. I think we're all smart enough to know when we're, we're starting to just say, poor me, poor me, and uh, get a bit pathetic versus uh, being really kind to ourselves and seeing you know acknowledging any suffering and and being there for it It, it's it's i guess parenting's a good analogy you know if if your child is suffering um you you can very skillfully bring compassion in that relationship most of us (laughs) um versus pity where i guess you're you're rescuing them far too much and saying poor you and and allowing them to get really stuck
1: yeah exactly it I think there might be a fine line sometimes between compassion and pity uh, your pig going into your own pity party and you know, it's terrible though to throw a pity party and have nobody show up you, know, <laughs> you, really, you really want that I love the chapter on housework Uh I think every couple needs to read this chapter. I know it was a real hard point in my marriage because my husband couldn't even change a light bulb. You know, it was more work for him to change the light bulb for me than it was to do it myself. And sometimes I had a hard time with that. Talk a little bit about non-attachment and letting go because this is such a great place to do it when it comes to the housework.
2: Sure, yeah, and I probably have to show my cards here and say that um, I'm in a marriage where uh, I'm married to uh, a Polish man and, uh, you know, he comes from a home where there's very – high standards um, in the kitchen and for cleanliness and all that. And in Australia, we're much more <laughs> relaxed about things like that. So, in my relationship… And in
1: Poland, the women are the ones who do all the cleaning, aren't they? Um,
2: oh, look, no? I, I, I wouldn't know anymore what… And, and he doesn't really know anymore what, what's going on there. But he is naturally a, a bit of a neat freak, Um, one of, one of those types. Um, So, he's much more likely to be the controlling one when it comes to things like housework and standards of cleanliness and putting things away um, than I am. Um, So, you know, a lot of women would say I'm I'm really lucky. Um, (laughs) Yes. I I have felt less than lucky with this um, balance uh, at times. But I guess, um, yeah, there is a lot of letting go for people to do when if their standards are way too high or if they're controlling about how a job gets done rather than whether it gets done. Um, It's a a huge area, housework. Where do you start? Um, I I guess finding ways to handle it skillfully rather than um, getting into a big raging argument about it. Um, Is there a is there a smarter way to do it? You know, I, I go back to the letter, which has, has worked so well for me on other, on other issues, um, trying to ad- address it calmly and, and, you know, negotiate calmly rather than finding ways to punish yourself much more than a lazy partner. I, I think that is often happening. You know, the angry person who's who feels like they're doing the most housework um, spends so much time with angry, grumbling thoughts that they they punish themselves even though they're the one that should be getting rewarded so yeah it really calls for some creativity I think resolving the housework issue
1: and the letting go really is something that happens within you how do you do that how do you let go of the anger when you know somebody won't even pick up his dirty underwear or whatever it is that bugs you the most
2: yes well um, we need to be careful with letting go. I mean, letting go is a very um, central plank of Buddhism. But if if you're experiencing an emotion, an emotion such as anger, um, the Buddha's not saying, let go of that anger right now. It, the Buddha's actually saying, make space to feel that anger. Be there for it. Be curious about it. Um, you know, you are a guest house. The anger is a visitor. Make the anger a cup of tea rather than pushing it away or suppressing it, acting on it. Just make space for it and just being aware of the anger. That awareness itself will take the edge off it. Uh, The anger may go away, it may not. um, But yeah, work work with that anger rather than um, pretending it's not there, trying to impose a calm state over the top of it.
1: Beautiful. On that note, letting anger have a cup of tea... We're going to take a break. This is Irene Conlon with my guest, Sarah Napthali, saying, Stay tuned. We'll be right back with some more.
3: We're on Facebook along with some of the greatest minds of the world, and that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. Every one of us confronts challenges that rock our world to the core making us confused and disoriented not knowing which way is up on the mother rising host margaret jacobson will nourish that spark that enlivens you will be both empowered and inspired to create the changes leading you on your path to your own true freedom discover your worth and what you are capable of Tune into The Mother Rising every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel When is the last time you saw sparkles of life in your day? Each day holds a treasure the extra in the ordinary It is too easy to miss them because they're familiar and we take them for granted If you want to add sparkle to your day, listen to Mighty Gems Spotlighting Everyday Jewels with Dee Lee She offers a new way to view the world and to discover your own mighty gems in daily life. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel.
0: Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com
1: Welcome back to the Self-Improvement Show. My guest today is Sarah Napthalai. We're talking about Buddhism for couples, a calm approach to relationships. Some of you have probably never thought an approach to relationships can be calm. Well, Sarah's here to tell you that you can. Sarah, you say that by applying Buddha's Four Noble Truths and Noble Eightfold Path to our relationships... We can begin to see our lives more clearly through nonjudgmental observation. Now, that's that's a loaded phrase, nonjudgmental observation. seems that it would take a while to develop that skill. For those of us who are not Buddhists and are not familiar with the Noble Truths and Eightfold Path, can you just give us a brief overview and tell us how it works in relation to um, couples and relationships.
2: Sure. Well, the first noble truth is that there is suffering, and by the word that the Buddha uses is dukkha, and dukkha means everything from you know an itchy toe to full blown grief. So there, there is suffering, um, and. I mean, that might sound really obvious, but I think we spend our lives um, in denial about suffering or suppressing it or pretending it's not there. The Buddha challenges us to study it and be there for it non-judgmentally. Uh, the second noble truth is um, that the cause of suffering is attachment. So let go of your attachments. Um, and, and by attachment, he he means um, self centered craving, um, you know, we have this craving for a self for and for a, a good self-image and, and all that and, and yeah, one of the Buddha's deepest teachings is that we really have no self in the way that we fool ourselves, you know, uh, the self is really quite a construction and we need to develop insight into that. Uh, the third noble truth is that suffering can end. Um, And how you interpret that is up for a lot of controversy, but let's go with the the more simplistic, and I guess the the Zen approach would be that in any moment, your suffering can end if you let go of whatever you're attached to. And the fourth noble truth is that there's a path out of suffering, and that path is the noble eightfold path. And um, let's see, what... What's what's in the in the noble eightfold path? There's skillful view, skillful thoughts, skillful speech. There's um, skillful action, skillful livelihood, effort, and concentration. So, um, just it's about living an ethical life. It, it's about um, dealing with what's going on in your mind, and it's about making sure that your actions in the world um, are ethical and mindful and and concentrated
1: okay now let me ask you this are is the teaching that these things are already present in you and you can come to them uh through meditation mindfulness you know the things that you do in in your daily practice or are these things more defined so that you have to go read and see what you can do and not do
2: Yes, well, I guess the Zen um, Buddhists really emphasize that uh, you're already whole. Uh, you're already perfect. You have the, uh, what's called Buddha nature. Uh, the trouble is it's all wrapped up in our delusions. So as soon as we can get rid of our delusions, one by one, peeling them off, this sort of onion theory, um, there's a jewel at, at the center, basically. So it's about developing clear clear thinking, insight, insight into what you need to let go of, and then it, it's all there. But certainly you can work to act, actively cultivate uh, qualities like compassion and generosity and kindness and, and presence.
1: And we're seeing more and more of that appear in all cultures. It's interesting to me now that um, there's more of an approach to you all are are already whole, you were made whole, you are not broken, you know, we need to find what the problem is here, but you're not broken, you're not wrong, you're not bad. And I I find that really refreshing. It's just so much better than thinking we're all some miserable (laughs) heap, you know, really. Uh, At the end of each chapter, you have things to contemplate and things to do. Now, I I, I like especially the chapter on stress and anxiety. You suggest contemplating whether you see yourself as a victim of circumstances. That sort of thing is what you have people contemplate. How does this work if only one person is doing the contemplating?
2: Well, uh, you know, every action has a reaction, and if if one one person in the marriage is uh, behaving more skillfully, then it's going to have an effect on the other person. Uh, you know, to put it really simply, if someone's really nice to you, it heightens the chance that you're going to be really nice back to them. <laughs> if someone's really sensitive to you, then um, you're going there's more chance that you're going to be sensitive back to them. It's it's pretty simple. Um, you know, your your how you treat your partner is you're, you're going to reap benefits if 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 you're treating them well and um, act, taking responsibility.
1: It, it it just works that way, doesn't it? You know, it's hard for somebody to stay mad at another person when the other person is being kind and gentle and happy. <laughs> it's really hard to stay angry when somebody gives you a smile and says I'm so sorry you talk about forgiveness talk a little bit about forgiveness how important it is with couples
2: yes well grudge holding I guess is just the big enemy Um, and you know I think I'm quite naturally a a grudge holder myself so it, it it really helps me Um, To have Buddhist teachings in my life to remind me again and again how damaging that can be. It it really is uh, the death knell for a a relationship because, you know, boy, there's just so much going on over the years. There's so many things to hold on to and to hold against your partner that um, if if you're a grudge-holding type and it's worth being honest with yourself about whether you are or not, um, then, yeah, your chances of staying married and and happily are… are quite low. Um, and grudge holding hurts the grudge holder much more than, than the partner. I mean, you think holding a grudge that you're punishing your partner, but your partner's really often going to be quite oblivious to all the time you spend ruminating so uh,
1: until you explode and say remember that time 10 years ago when you said whatever it was <laughs> yeah look i've been guilty no, of bringing remember.
2: things up again and again and again and again <laughs> they're <laughs> totally surprised they, going oh crazy. i never
1: said anything like that <laughs> mm. and some of us do we, we you know we just hold on to it hold on to it and then all of a sudden We explode with all the things that we've kept in there, like some big bomb or something. (laughs) You make this statement. I think this is so powerful. You say, many would argue that how we interact with others is the ultimate test of spiritual practice. Can you expand on that thought a little bit? How we interact with others is the ultimate test of spiritual practice. Hmm. Well,
2: I think you can really fool yourself um, as a Buddhist, and and you know, go into a silent retreat for six months and and feel like you've made enormous spiritual progress. But if you you know came out of that silent retreat and were treating people coldly or were getting into conflicts with people and getting on everybody's nerves, what you know, what have you really achieved? And I think also relationships really hold up a mirror and show us our, our weak spots and the spots that we possibly need to work on in ourselves. So, in Western Buddhism in particular, there's a real emphasis on using our relationships as a vehicle for spiritual practice, much more than in the East where I, I think What's
1: the difference between Eastern and Western Buddhism?
2: Uh, probably just uh, cultural differences. Uh, uh, Buddhism's travelled... And landed in many different cultures, and it and it tends to be influenced and uh, adapted by those cultures. So in the West, we're really into democracy, say, and uh, well, we're talking about it at least. <laughs> and, but you know, that's one of our values and egalitarianism and gender equity things like that. So so Buddhists in the West really do emphasise um, gender equality and egalitarianism and, uh, you know, everybody having a voice, democratic principles, things like that. Um, And I I guess in the East it's a much more monastic practice and everybody defers to the monks and the monks are celibate, whereas teachers in the West are likely to be family people uh, in relationships and hence I think the greater emphasis on relationships as, as a vehicle for practice Here in
1: the West, it's always interesting to me to see. Well, I have to be careful how I say this to see people who teach spirituality. And when they're not on, I mean, when they're not teaching, you know, they explode to everybody around them or, you know, to have little temper tantrums or get demanding and pushy. It's always interesting to me, and I, I think of your statement. I mean, I've heard this before: that you know, the the true test of your spirituality is how you react when you're with other people, and what you know when when you're in a situation that may be uncomfortable. How do you handle it? You know, what what are you going to do? How do you treat everybody around you? And some people that teach treat other people with great disdain. And I sometimes would like to say, oh, what's going on here? But it's not, so, it's not, it's not acceptable to do that. You, you write in the beginning of your book that lack of mutual appreciation is one of the most widely cited problems of long-term relationships and one of the leading causes of divorce. How can you show appreciation to your partner and I'm looking and we're going to have to answer that question when we come back from break so that's a little food for thought during the break for all of us how do we show appreciation for each other regularly this is Irene Conlon with my guest Sarah Naphtali saying stay tuned we'll be back with more
3: Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. It's time to access your magic. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at VoiceAmericaTRN.
0: You are tuned in to The Self-Improvement Show with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Got a question for Irene or her guests? Call into our live show at 1 346 9141. That's 1 888 346 9141. Connect with Irene via email. Our address is the self improvement blog at gmail.com. Now, let's get back to the self improvement show. Here again is Dr. Irene Conlon.
1: Welcome back to the self improvement show. My guest today is Sarah Napthali. We're talking about uh, Buddhist. Buddhism for Couples. And the question we left you with uh, before the break was, how can couples show appreciation for each other regularly? Sarah, you're on.
2: Well, you have to start, I think, by actually noticing um, and paying attention to your partner. I I talk about studies in my book where uh, they've found that People can do really nice things for each other, and it won't even be noticed because we're we're not paying attention. We're off in our heads, off in our thoughts. So, being more present, you you will notice the kind of things that your partner is doing. And from that point, it's just a very simple matter of, of saying thank you. Uh, you know, squeezing your partner's shoulder, looking them in the eye, uh, giving them a smile, and. You know, you can be really literal about it by by saying, thank you, I really enjoyed the extra effort you put into dinner tonight. It was really yummy. Um, Or, or, you know, it may be a, a hug, a squeeze of the shoulder, a stroking of the head. But, yeah, appreciating. Both members of a partner tend to be doing a lot for the household. So there's usually no shortage of things to be appreciative for
1: and sometimes you have to look. Sometimes you really have to look for something. And in, in those situations, it seems to me that it's even more important that you say thank you or, hey, that was great. Um, and kids need this really big time, too. Kids kids really need this. Before we get to the end of the show, Sarah, I want to ask you, how can people find you? Uh, I know they can get your book Anywhere, I assume in Australia, in Europe, here, wherever, um, that I, it's in English only now at this point, isn't it?
2: Uh, Buddhism for couples. For oh, couples. I th- I think it might, yeah, it might be being translated into other things. I lose, I lose track because it's my sixth book, and um, you know, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't study my emails. To, I don't memorize my emails enough to know it might be being translated into something. I hope
1: so. How can I can't remember find what. <laughs>
2: um, I, I don't have a website, um, but, you know, if you just Google Buddhism for mothers or Buddhism for couples, uh, you know, all, all the websites will come up. A- Amazon, you know, uh, yeah, the and usual can, book, Is book there stores. a way if
1: somebody really wanted badly to reach you, they could find you through Amazon or… Um, mm. They can find you.
2: Uh, yeah. Oh, they can find I- information on my books. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm a bit naughty. I don't really do much social media working full time. I don't really have <laughs> time for Facebook. and.
1: I know and, your life has totally changed, hasn't it? Even since, since, since I contacted you, I don't, I don't know that I knew you were um, – that you had a new job. And it's a job that needs somebody like you very, very badly. One more question: You know, a lot of couples struggle in their marriage after children come. You know, the baby causes all kinds of havoc, and they blame each other instead of the baby. You know, and and this is where parents tend to fault each other, and they get resentful and you know, the husband feels like he's being neglected and all those kinds of women feels like she's being overworked. Is there a Buddhist practice that can help couples work through this? Um, this is a big one in most marriages.
2: The first thing that I think of is is the teaching of impermanence. Um, and so I think if, if you're aware that nothing lasts and everything changes and uh, that you might be going through some stormy weather, or, or a bit of a winter in, in your relationship. Because uh, I, I think if you're really shocked about how much everything's changed when when children come, um, yeah, it, it can really affect you emotionally. Whereas if you just tell yourself, look, th- this is a phase we're going through and, and this too will pass. Uh, and it really does. And um, I remember not believing people who, who said that to me when my kids were young and and, and life was much more difficult than it is now but it, it really does ease up and um, and the, the stormy times really do change and the research backs me up here because I, I cite studies where uh, a good two-thirds of people who described themselves as very unhappy in their relationship five years later were no longer very unhappy but it, but had changed to happy so uh, yeah, two thirds is—that's is, quite a lot of of unhappy relationships, and 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 they were relationships where there were very big problems, such as you know depression and substance abuse problems. So I- everything changes.
1: I remember when I had my first one, everybody said enjoy him because it, it, the time will go by so fast, and I'm thinking, yeah, but when do I ever get to sleep? <laughs> well, when do <laughs> I have a ever shower?
2: Get, yeah,
1: when, when do I get to sleep now? And, when the kids finally went to school and I could take a bath all by myself, it was like absolute joy. You know, I go even go to the bathroom by myself without having somebody knocking at the door saying, mommy, mommy, are you in there? You know, it, it, it's um, it, it, it goes. And then you look back and think those are sweet times. You know, Absolutely. Those, those are sweet times. Why didn't I enjoy them more at the time?
2: And yes just, and I think Buddhism does does help you to be present and to to slow down to to toddler time and and be be playful and rather than just thinking what have I got to do next where's my to-do list am I getting through it it it's such a uh, easy thing to get sucked into this day and age how productive am I rather than how present am I
1: Yeah that should be the big question shouldn't it how present am I
2: yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, looking back on the day, we always seem to assess it by how much did I get done? But is that really the most important question to be asking ourselves or or was it, you know, how compassionate was I? How loving was I? What effect did I have on other people? And, and how present or mindful was I?
1: Yeah, how present or mindful am I right now? Yeah, really, right now? Yeah, anytime. Okay. Anytime. Anytime. Sarah, we're right up to the end of the show. What's the thought you'd like to leave with our listeners today?
2: Well, my big passion point, I guess, would be self-compassion as opposed to guilt. I think... Uh, with awareness of of your thoughts and and more awareness of your actions and your effect on others, an an inevitable reaction can be guilt and and even self-loathing. But guilt and self-loathing aren't going to get you anywhere and they aren't going to change you and they get you into a pretty bad relationship with yourself. So I'd encourage people to explore the teaching of self-compassion, which is pretty much just treating yourself the way you treat your kids. Uh, You know, you forgive them. you don't treat them like it's boot camp, hopefully. Uh, yeah, it's easy to to uh, um, be kind to your kids and, and show that kindness to yourself as well. Um, you're somebody's kid as, as well and you should have received that kind of compassion and love. Um, give, give it to yourself and, and do that in meditation uh, and do that throughout the day.
1: Wonderful, yeah. wonderful advice. Next week's guest is Jerry Gillies, who will be talking about money love. It's not what you think, so you probably need to tune in. Sarah, thank you so, so much for being with us today. You gave us so much to take home with us after this broadcast.
2: Oh, it's, it's lovely to hear your words. You've been very kind to me, Irene.
1: <laughs> it's wonderful, wonderful stuff. Buddhism for couples, a calm approach to relationships. This is Irene Conlon with my guest Sarah Nepthali, Nepthali saying thank you for being with us today and come back next week for more of the Self-Improvement Show. <laughs>
0: Thank you again for joining Dr. Irene Conlon for The Self-Improvement Show. Please listen again next Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Remember that improvement out there starts in here.